Life groups are a place that can help you navigate the highs and the lows in life. They're a place where you can feel cared for, a place where you can be heard. And likewise, life groups are a place that you can listen to and you can care for others. If you're interested in joining, visit our website. We'll help you take the next step. We look forward to connecting with you.
Welcome to Worship at La Jolla Community Church. So delighted that you are tuning in with us today. We had a fantastic time out on the lawn this morning, and uh, uh, hope that you will take the time to come worship with us live. It's been really neat to see how that's working out. Uh, we're practicing social protocols. Uh, we have all kinds of ways to keep you safe, but at the same time to give you access uh, to other people in a worship environment. It's, it's really fun. So when you're ready, we're ready uh, to welcome you uh, back to worship on the lawn. Well, today we're continuing this series, uh, The Good Life According to God. Last week we were talking about Mark, and uh, we're going to continue talking about Mark uh, this morning. So we're asking the question, what is the good life? What is the good life according to God, a truly good life? And we've come to a place where we have concluded that you'll live the good life according to God by living generously in His name. And by generously in His name, uh, we don't mean just giving stuff away to people. We mean giving yourself away uh, to people, uh, starting with God and then in Him, uh, giving your life away, including people in your life, inviting people in, sharing your life. That includes your time, talent, treasure, connections, interests, uh, questions, all of it. Uh, but to live generously is to make room in your life for God and to make room in your life uh, for people. So how do we do that? Uh, first point of the morning, uh, how do we live generously in God's name? Uh, basically, we organize our life and go out of our way to do the things that Jesus did. Uh, Jesus spent time with God the Father. Uh, Jesus knew the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus spent time with people. Um, where, do, where does that lead Jesus? Well, Titus, writing in the New Testament in a letter, uh, says it this way, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Uh, let's walk through that one more time. Uh, to organize our lives around uh, and make room for uh, Jesus, we want to do the things that Jesus did. And we want to respond specifically to the thing that Jesus did in including us in God's kingdom. Uh, this is a rescue mission, Jesus coming into the world, God in Christ coming into the world, uh, not holding our sins against us, but uh, letting us know that we are welcome to come into His kingdom, to receive forgiveness, grace, uh, to be born again, to be renewed. And so you see it here, when the kindness and love of our God appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, quite to the contrary. It was in spite of our righteousness. It was in the midst of our unrighteousness uh, that He did this. Why? Because of His mercy. Uh, I love the word mercy. Uh, that's a generosity word. Uh, people who are merciful are generous. They're not compromising truth or diluting reality. What they're doing is recognizing the reality that all of us need mercy. And so it says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This salvation experience, we call it being born again. We call it believing in Jesus. We call it uh, becoming a follower of Christ. However you refer to it, it's a process of God cleansing us of sin, 
clothing us in His righteousness, putting us back into our right mind, our right heart, showing us what He's put in our hands. No matter what circumstances uh, would describe our life, He wants us to know Him and walk with Him generously right there. So it says, all this happened because He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So this is the hallmark of God Himself. Our generosity is rooted in His. If living the good life according to God is living generously in His name, it's simply because that's who He is. And when I hear the name Jesus, I think, oh, that's the generosity of God made real through rebirth and renewal of people who put their faith in Him. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why is this even possible to be reinstated in a relationship with the living God? If, if, if the good life is found in Him alone, the inventor, the creator of life, is the author of the good life, why? Well, because we're created by God for the good life in a holy covenant. God has created the environment for us to participate in this good life that he alone can provide. And so we see uh, Paul, the apostle, writing to the Galatians. Uh, Gal Galatia was a region in uh, what we call modern-day Turkey. Uh, the Galatians uh, were a group of Jews who had come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They'd accepted him as a fulfillment of God's work in promising uh, Israel uh, uh, redemption. And, and so uh, Paul writes a letter to them reviewing for them, confirming for them uh, where this comes from, what this relationship in Christ is about. And so he says in chapter 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is, Abraham didn't do anything other than to respond to the command of God, to the invitation of God to be in relationship with him. And by saying yes to God, believing in him, he was made righteous. He was rightly aligned with God. And so Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The issue was that these Jews having now become followers of Jesus, are joined by Gentile followers of Jesus. And the issue is, well, uh, are these Gentiles okay being Gentiles? They're now in Christ, along with us uh, who are sons of Abraham by lineage. But is that enough? And Paul's making the case, yes, it is enough. Because they're doing what Abraham did. They're responding to God by faith, so they're made righteous in the same way that Abraham was made righteous. He goes on to say, in verse 26 of chapter 3, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We've been wrapped in the righteousness of Christ Himself. Christ's death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, is now credited to us is God's gift to us by His grace. Jesus' death and resurrection, His presence in us through the Holy Spirit changes everything. We become new creations in Christ. 
There is therefore neither Jew nor Gentile. It's no longer, that's an artificial distinction in and of itself. There are still Jews and Gentiles, but to say, oh, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, is to miss the point that we're both in Christ by faith. So there's a larger category of, of, of our frame of reference to the good life. It's that in Christ, all of us have the good life, Jew or Gentile. Uh, he says, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These are still important categories. Uh, male and female are important categories. Our ethnicity, it's an important category. If I pretend I don't see you as you are ethnically, as you are culturally, uh, uh, it could be uh, that I'm rendering you invisible and I'm, I'm disrespecting who you really are. I'm projecting on you as a blank canvas who I want you to be. So it's not about not seeing one another as male or female, slaves or free, Jew or Gentile. It's saying, I see you as a beloved child of God. And I see that you're Jewish. I see that you're female. I see that currently you're in a slave situation. Most importantly, I see you as belonging to God himself. And now you and I together are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family of God. And if there's issues we need to work on, like slavery, we can do that in that larger context. Because our larger identity is not any of those other things. That's a part of our identity. Our largest identity is that we are redeemed, renewed, uh, rebirthed, uh, rewashed <laughs> by Jesus Christ. So if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And this might sound like esoteric theology, uh, irrelevant to the life you're currently living. Actually, this gives the current life you're living uh, content. This is the larger frame of reference that you and I need to understand the meaning and purpose of our lives. We are heirs according to the promise. The promise that God gave to Abraham, trust in me, and we will have a relationship with one another. It's the same relationship that we now stand in. So you and I have equal standing before God with Abraham. We're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We're beloved sons and daughters by faith, as Abraham was. So in Christ, we have the same standing as Abraham before God. And to fully experience that standing, we need godly spiritual formation and transformation. We need uh, some experiences and some influences in our life to help us fully appropriate this amazing and wonderful thing that we have in Christ. Just as Abraham had to grow into his faith, his understanding of what it meant to walk with God, so do we. And so we need dependable spiritual guides and formative spiritual experiences. Dependable spiritual guides, people who can wisely lead us into a, the deepest possible experience of our relationship with Christ. Formative spiritual experiences, that is, experiences that allow us to understand the love of God in practical ways, to uh, receive knowledge about God in, in functional ways, to know how to uh, apply those things, things like prayer, a discernment, how to worship, how to give, how to see my whole life in the context of the generosity of God, the grace of God, the love of God. So if the first question was, how do we live generously in God's name? Well, it's by responding to Him. The second issue is this. God provides the spiritual guides and experiences we need. God provides these resources. We don't have to come up with them. They're already available in Him. And so Mark, who we talked about last week, saw the powerful transformation of Jesus in Peter, who became his mentor, in Barnabas, who was his cousin, in Paul, uh, under whose uh, leadership 
he also thrived. He saw how they stood up to intense pressure and persecution. Great spiritual guides, dependable spiritual guides, uh, don't see themselves as superheroes. They see themselves as people simply learning to walk authentically with the Lord. And, what, and when we see how they handle problems and persecution, disappointment, setbacks, that becomes a really useful role model for us for, to emulate. Not to be them, but to be us. Uh, but, but being benefited from their influence in us. And so this was a significant motivating spiritual experience for Mark, knowing these kinds of people. And then joining them. I mean, Mark was being shaped by dependable spiritual guides, and then he joined them. Uh, Barnabas and, and uh, Paul said, come back to Antioch with us from Jerusalem, and, and then journey with us as we do some ministry together. And so we see in Acts 12, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission. Uh, they, had bought, they had brought some money um, from the Antioch church down to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was having some very serious issues with uh, famine. So Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So what a wonderful opportunity and experience for Mark to be included with them and brought on, on uh, what became their first missionary journey. Out beyond Antioch, they went out taking the gospel to other cities around the Mediterranean. Uh, what a great experience for Mark. Well, yes and no. Yes, because wow, what a great opportunity. It's both you know, a dependable guide and also a formulative uh, formative spiritual experience being with them. But sadly, we see in Acts 13, Mark quits and goes back to Jerusalem. He just up and quits uh, Paul and Barnabas, leaving them in the lurch. Because even though he was learning a lot, uh, he was providing uh, some of the support that they needed to do what they were doing. And then he just decides to leave. Was he homesick? Was he frustrated? Was he scared? We don't know. We can assume all of that. But the fact was, it was a, a, a really a sad reversal for him and for them. Later we see it in uh, Acts 15, uh, after some other things that Paul and Barnabas are doing uh, in the name of the Lord, they, they're ready to go on another missionary journey and they get in an argument because Barnabas wants to bring Mark and, and, and Paul says, we can't depend on him. I'm not, I'm not bringing him. Uh, and so they had a parting of the ways. Not, not a forever break in their relationship, but they, they decided to go separate ways. So Barnabas takes Mark under his wing, and they go to Cyprus. Paul recruits Silas, who is a phenomenal leader in the church, and goes uh, out again with Silas to do ministry. It's along the way with Silas that they meet Timothy, and they meet Luke, who's recording all this uh, in Acts. John Mark gave up too soon. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the idea that I, I, I want to walk with God, I want to know God, I know I've had an authentic experience of of coming to faith, and then all of a sudden you realize it's hard. It isn't easy. It's scary. It can be overwhelming. Uh, I remember Peter seeing Jesus walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he wants to walk toward Jesus, and so Jesus says, well, get out of the boat. Come. And as Peter's walking, <laughs> doing the unthinkable, the impossible virtually, how do you walk on water? He's looking at Jesus, and it's working. He's walking on water toward Jesus. And of course, of course, you know the story. As soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he, f he freaks out, and he starts to sink. Well, you can say well, he was doing something unnatural. Why wouldn't he sink? Well, it feels unnatural to us to, to actually trust God, to obey God. 
And oftentimes we, we quit. Maybe it's a subtle way of quitting. We, we stop really reading the Word. We stop fellowshipping with fellow believers. We, we don't take advantage of getting a mentor or a guide. We, we limit our spiritual experiences and spiritual exposure. We're not going to worship. We're not in a life group. Uh, we're not giving, serving. Therefore, we're not growing. It's a reversal. Thankfully, in, in Mark's case, Barnabas said, look, just as I did and mentor, mentored you, Paul, I'm going to take some time to mentor Mark. How about you? Uh, are you in a place where you're going strong, or are you in a place where you say, gee, I've stepped back. In fact, I really don't know how to get going again, or I don't know how to take that next step. It seems scary. It seems inconvenient. I don't know if I can afford it with time, talent, or treasure. Which brings us to the third point. Thankfully, God's covenant is a community of grace and restoration. For Mark, certainly it was. You'll see in a few moments uh, the difference it made in Mark's life to be restored under that covenant in that community. And for us too, it's never too late to get back in step with the Lord. Uh, it's never too early to get in step with the Lord. So if you're hearing this as a new believer uh, and you're thinking, okay, I'm ready. I haven't had a reversal. I'm ready. Just know that it's not going to be easy, but it'll be good. And if you say, well, I was so fired up about my faith, but now I need to pull back because I've been hurt or wounded or disappointed, you know, uh, take some time to grieve that, but get, get over that and get on with it. See it as a momentary setback as a disappointing and maybe humbling sign that you don't have it all together and you need to lean in to the Lord and trust in Him and be developed through wise guides, not wise guys, wise guides, dependable guides with formative spiritual experiences. So what are the issues you need to consider in living the good life? Let me throw this out to you. Having problems doesn't disqualify you, but denying your problems will. Well, I've got problems. I can't really be a disciple of Jesus. Problems, that just comes with the territory. That's a given. You'll have problems. But when you deny you have problems, you don't give God room to work in those problems for transformation. How about fears and doubts? Fears and doubts do not disqualify you, but denying your fears and doubts certainly will. Well, I'm afraid. Okay, Paul and Barnabas were afraid, but they trusted in God. Well, I've got doubts. I'm sure Paul and Barnabas had doubts, but they worked through those doubts. They allowed God to meet them at the place of their doubt, their, in, their, their um, indecision. Their sense of, well, what's next? They trusted God, and God met them there. So having problems doesn't disqualify you. Fears and doubts don't disqualify you unless you're uh, just denying them. And then having faults and weaknesses doesn't disqualify you but certainly denying them will. Mark realized, man, I got some serious faults and weaknesses. I have a hard time making and keeping a commitment. I have a hard time asking for help. I have a hard time articulating that this is overwhelming to me, so I just need to run away. Was Mark assuming success without sacrifice or suffering? Probably. Hey, this is going to be great. I'm with Paul and Barnabas. How exciting. How wonderful. I've heard the great stories. I want a story like that. God will make it easy, I'm sure, because I'm being faithful. No, He won't. God will not make it easy because you're being faithful. God will make it good because you're being faithful. God will use it in your life to build you and develop you because you're being faithful. God will make you stronger if you're willing to trust Him and trust your mentors. But God doesn't make it easy. 
It seems easy at times because what you're doing is so trusting God that you've got momentum, that you're using the skills you're developing. You're, re, you're, re, you're re, relying on the strength He's giving you. You're benefiting from being part of a team of people who are all contributing uh, what's necessary to get the job done. Then it does seem easy. It's like walking or running or sailing with the wind at your back. It feels easy, but the wind is not always at your back. Sometimes it's right in your face. It's not always easy, but it's always good. Perhaps Mark disqualified himself by comparing himself to Paul and Barnabas. I'm just not those guys. They have it so together and I don't. Big mistake. Never, ever compare yourself to others and certainly don't compete with others. What's the alternative? We collaborate with others. Paul, you know so much. I want to learn so much. My dear cousin Barnabas, I had no idea you were such a man of God. I feel like such a, a pipsqueak in your presence. I want to learn from you. There's so much I don't know. Help me. And what would they have done? They would have said, hey, you're part of the team. Had he said to them, I'm thinking of running away and leaving. It's so overwhelming. They would have said, hey, hang in there. One more day. Do it one day at a time. Just one day at a time. He would have, Mark would have pushed through all those barriers, those self-imposed barriers and the real barriers circumstantially. Take responsibility for yourself by asking these three questions unique to you. Who am I? Where am I? What do I want? This is what every pilot has to come to terms with when they contact the tower. Our daughter Megan got her pilot's license at the end of high school. She had to learn how to say, here's who I am. Here are the call numbers of my plane. I identify who I am. And as far as I know, here's where I am. And I want to enter your airspace. Or they're asking you, her, you're, you're in our airspace. What, you know, where are you? Well, I'm here. And what do you want? I want to go here. So these three questions are super helpful. Who am I? Where am I? What do I want? It's okay to ask for help with this. The tower is there to help you. Well, here's how I am. Here's where I think I am, and here's where I think I want to go. What's the best way to get there? The tower will say, uh, stay at this altitude, at this speed, and you have permission. They would support her until she got out of their airspace. That's, that's what God does for us. So who are your guides? What spiritual experiences are you committing to? If you don't have guides... You're at risk. If, you, if you're not making commitments to spiritual growth experiences, you're missing out. It's okay to change course and revise strategies in pursuing your goal. It's never wise to ditch your values or your commitments or those essential relationships that God is giving to us with brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not isolate. Don't, do not withdraw. Don't ditch your values. Don't dilute your faith, your beliefs. Don't compromise what you know is true in Christ. That was Paul's message to the Galatians. That was Titus's message. Because of this covenant, you don't need to do that. Because you're, you live in a larger, descriptive place than all those other things. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female, slave, free. You are a beloved son or daughter in Christ. You have all the resources you need because you have Him, no matter how tough the going gets. And so by definition, a great vision is bigger and harder than anything you've yet done. That's why you need the Lord. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need the Word of God. That's why you need a team. Be clear about what you are visioning. It's about growth, not your perfection. It's about blessing people, not impressing people. Don't confuse the good life with an easy life. Goodness is its own reward, and goodness is what we experience as we walk with the Lord. Doing the right thing with God is always better than turning away from Him at any age or stage in life. There are times for rest and renewal. You can't be always go, 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 hard, hard, hard. 
But if you're not really committed to going hard and developing staying power, uh, you're going to miss the good life. Mark eventually learned to trust God and be a trusted partner. Mark became a man of God among the people of God, serving others for God. He went from being unreliable to becoming a generous legacy to us all. He was reconciled to Paul. At the end of his life, Paul was saying, uh, send Mark. Uh, he's a great partner in ministry. Peter said, I, I see Mark as a son to me. It was powerful to see the transformation in Mark as he, as he brushed himself off from that big fail and came back into the game. God gave him credibility and authority to not only live the gospel, but to write the first gospel. Mark is the first gospel that was written. That's a testimony to God's grace in Mark. He was able to lean in and learn from the Lord Himself in the company of some wise guides through some formative spiritual experiences, and He had a story to tell, and He wanted us to know that story, and we call it the Gospel of Mark. So likewise, the good life according to God is a gospel of Jesus written in you and in me. He's writing it right now. Are you paying attention? He's writing a new and fresh chapter in you right now. Are you paying attention? to the plot that God is writing in your life. Your life is not just a bunch of random events. There's a plot there, and you can know the plot as you lean in and pay attention to what God is doing in you. Live your life, then, as a generous legacy of God's amazing grace at work in you. It's an incredible legacy from Him to you and through you to others. Your life is a blessing. Don't deny that from yourself, and don't deny that from anybody else. I want you to emulate Nicodemus. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. I want you to uh, emulate Barnabas. We talked about him uh, several weeks ago. And now I want you to emulate Mark so that other people can emulate you. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters for uh, the fact that you love us so much. You want to draw us into a life-changing relationship with you, forming us and transforming us through dependable guides and, and formative uh, transformational spiritual experiences. Uh, I pray, especially during this difficult, difficult season of COVID, when all of us feel uh, fatigued and disoriented, maybe really discouraged and frustrated, yearning to get back to a normal. I pray, Lord, that you would show us what a new normal looks like as we learn to walk with you even through this difficult season. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I, I hope you take this to heart. If I can do anything to help you process this, uh, if you're in a life group, bring this back to your life group and talk about it with them. If you have a mentor or a guide, uh, process this with them. If not, be praying and looking uh, for a guide. And every opportunity you have to grow spiritually, uh, whether it's a life group, it's a worship experience, it's a, it's a serve opportunity, it's a way to realign your life around uh, what God teaches us in His Word, do it. You'll be glad you did because that is the pathway to the good life. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.